Matthew chapter 7 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to that portion of God's Word, Matthew chapter 7. We're in this message series called Jesus Wants His Church Back. And I would encourage you this morning to pay particular attention throughout this message today. I hope, I hope that, that certainly you will. But if you walked into this auditorium, either through the invitation of someone or today you have come here without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to talk to you this morning about building your life upon a foundation that will not crumble. I also want to talk to you about building on a cracked foundation. The year was 1937 when this country saw the completion of one of the most recognizable architectural works in the world, the Golden Gate Bridge. Against all odds, the, the Golden Gate Bridge was built above not only a treacherous strait, but uh, that strait had raging currents and powerful winds above with those currents beneath it. So to construct it, there were two towers, or actually there were more than two towers, but there were, there were primarily two towers that dynamite and divers had to blast through the bedrock all the way down beneath the ocean, uh, level it, and then sink a very deep foundation. The bridge, in addition to this, sits along the San Andreas Fault, and so a fault zone that causes literally thousands of earthquakes every year, so it had to be built not only with durability, but also with flexibility. From the middle of its suspension, the roadway sways from side to side as much as 20 feet. <laughs> yeah, you can become very concerned when you feel that bridge beginning to vibrate and sway, but the Golden, Br Golden Gate Bridge has two things going for it that cr creates stability. First of all, it is anchored in bedrock. But secondly, above the foundation of that bedrock, it has flexibility. What an unbeatable combination, ladies and gentlemen. Flexible, but anchored firmly to a rock-solid foundation. Now, every one of us in this room has at least three things in common. Number one, you are building something, whether you know it or not. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm retired. You're building something. You see, sometimes we think when we retire or when we, we reach those years that they call us senior adults or, 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 you know, I remember at 50 when they started sending me AARP cards and I said, I am not AARP. Now I gladly take it because it's cheaper. Some of you get that later maybe. But you may be building a career or building a marriage or building a family or building a ministry or building your character, but mark it down, ladies and gentlemen, you are building something. Number two, it isn't getting any easier. Difficulties include changing values, economic downturns, the influence of the media, taxes, and the cost of, the cost of healthcare in this country. I mean, when, when you think with me how this country has changed so dramatically in the last five years. And then thirdly, 
All of us, every one of us, I believe, want a solid foundation. Everybody wants a solid foundation for, their, for your home, for your, for your marriage, for your kids' values, for your future. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I want a solid foundation. Well, Jesus capped off his famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, with a story about building a solid foundation. Listen to what he said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was teaching us far more than an architectural lesson. He was asking the most important question that anyone will ever ask. Jesus was saying, in essence, if you reject me and my words for the foundation of your life, then what do you propose to replace them with, and what is going to be able to hold you up for a lifetime? What Jesus is conveying to us is that your ultimate worldview matters. You see, some of us in this room, when I say worldview, we, we shake our heads and wonder, what, what in the world is the pastor going to talk about today? I mean, is it so out there? Well, let me just give you an example. Saeed Khatib is not a household name. In fact, even though he died 50 years ago, he has had a profound effect upon all of our lives sitting in this room. Saeed was an Egyptian educator and a politician with a worldview of hatred and violence, especially against Jews and Christians and the West in general. He communicated his worldview through 24 published books, numerous articles, his relationships, and his politics. He was arrested for plotting to assassinate the Egyptian president. He continued spewing his radical theories for another decade from prison before finally he was hung in 1966. That would have been the end of Saeed Khatib, except his brother, Muhammad Khatib, was a university professor who started teaching and publishing and promoting his brother's teachings in Saudi Arabia. You probably have never heard of Saeed or Matthew Khatib, but the entire world has heard of their star pupil, Osama bin Laden. Bin Laden took their worldview and he acted on it, and because of that, we now live in a different world, ladies and gentlemen. Today we live in an age of terrorism because of the worldview of one many who executed by his own countryman, 
He was executed by his own Egyptian countrymen, one man. All of these decades later, we are reaping the effects of that worldview. Worldviews have consequences. A worldview is simply this. It is a set of beliefs that you build your life upon. Your worldview determines your thoughts regarding life and death and the past and the present and the future. Your worldview determines your thoughts even about happiness and joy. Your worldview determines your success level, your stress level, your sense of of confidence, your peace, uh, even your peace of mind and all. All of that comes from your worldview. Everything depends on a person's worldview. And everyone, every one of us in this room has one. We have a worldview. That's why Jesus spent so much time challenging those worldviews. Unfortunately, the the views of the world have infiltrated the church. I don't know if you've noticed that. But they have. Let me, let me give you some of the challenging worldviews that have infiltrated the church and are very prevalent among secular society as well. Number one, when, when we talk about alternative worldviews that compete with the one that Christ set for us, the first one that I would note is this worldview of hedonism. Hedonism, if it feels good, do it. Hedonism states that the most important thing in life is how you feel. If you feel good, then what you're doing must be good. If you feel bad, then what you're doing is bad. In hedonism, everything is ruled by feelings. Now listen to me. You're looking at a a preacher's kid. You're looking at a pastor for many years, but I'm going to be very bold this morning to tell you that, that... In sin, a lot of times, sin feels good. Hello? Y'all quit looking at me so spiritual. (laughs) It does. But in due season, the scripture says, what will happen? It will find you out. Worldviews have consequences. A worldview is this set of, of, of beliefs that you build your life upon, and there are only three options in life. You live to please yourself, which some of you are doing right now. You live to please others, or you live to please God. Each is a worldview with very distinct consequences. Listen to what Jesus said. For what does it benefit or profit a man to gain the whole world, yet you lose his life? People weren't created by God to merely live pleasure-seeking, self-centered lives. Hedonism. Second worldview is this worldview of materialism. The worldview can, can be summed up in one word, more. More. It's a worldview that says the one with the most toys at the end wins. Have you seen that bumper sticker on a four by four that's raised up that you need a step ladder to get into it? It's that, 
It's that bumper sticker that always reminds me. The one with the most toys at the ends wins. Listen to what Jesus said. He then told them in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now, let's be real candid. I like stuff, don't you? I mean, I do. I, I like I can tell my wife says, how many times are you going to clean those golf clubs? I said, every time I use them, I'm going to clean them because I'm a kind of a neat freak about stuff like that. But I, I try to take care of everything that, that God has given to me. But I've got to tell you that those golf clubs and, and I was telling Emily the other day, I, I, I finally got a Taylor guitar this has been several years ago. I'd always wanted a tailored guitar. I wanted to, I mean, it was like the, oh, Lord, thank you, thank you. And, and I'd had it about three months. I was so proud. I'd polished it. I'd play it when I'd get home. And it was therapy for me. And, and then my son went off to, to grad school in Austin, Texas, and he began leading worship for a, a, a big college group of kids. And we had given him a guitar. It wasn't a real expensive guitar, but I went down there and I watched my son. He was leading worship. Robbie was doing such a good job. And, and God spoke to me in the midst of that service and said, give Robbie your tailor. And I said, uh, time out. <laughs> I didn't come here to be told to give away my prize guitar. And I, I fought God on it. I said, God, it's the first, it'd probably be the only tailor I ever had. And it was, but I gave it to him because it wasn't mine. It was God's. It didn't belong to me. It, it was put in my management. That's why stewardship, and we're, we're going to get into stewardship later in this process of transitional uh, ministry, but, but I will tell you that so much of the time I look in the church and I see materialism more. There's a third worldview, and it's this worldview of individualism. The worldview of individualism can be summed up in two words, me first. Jesus taught a totally different worldview when he said these words. And listen to what Jesus said. For, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Significance does not come from status or salary or success or serving yourself. It comes from serving God and others Again, listen to the words of Jesus, Mark chapter 10. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Pragmatism. The most common phrase embracing pragmatism is whatever works. <laughs> it says it might not be my thing, but if it works for you, that's great. What you believe determines how you behave, ladies and gentlemen, which determines what you become. Everything you become in life is ultimately driven by what you believe. Humanism. Now, I know I'm going to make some people mad in here this morning, but I'm okay. You know, General Colin Powell said, and I won't exactly quote him, but uh, he said that if you're a leader, 
you're going to tick people off. That wasn't the word he used, but that's the word I'm going to choose to use today. The anthem to humanism is Frank Sinatra's hit song. I know some of you love to listen to old Frank. My way. In humanism, people are their own ultimate authority and they write their own truths. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, you cannot do it your way. You've got to do it God's way. And, and you know what? Sometimes we have to be remembered we have to do it God's way and we're not God. What does Jesus want us to do? Remember that question? Don't forget that question. And then there's fatalism. The worldview of fatalism can be summarized in four words that crush dreams. They replace hope. They're filled with discouragement. They replace confidence with cynicism. Things will never change. Those four words are a fatalistic viewpoint, a worldview. A fatalistic worldview is cancer of the spirit. That worldview, dreams for the future are squelched. Fatalistic people do not have hope or faith. Rather than live with a vibrant faith, Underneath an unlimited God, and he is unlimited, ladies and gentlemen, they live totally dominated by the prior experiences, and they live it out with discouragement. Fatalism, stoicism, cynicism, they're all related. Listen again to what Jesus said, looking at them. Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Some of you cannot even begin to dream the what-ifs for First Baptist Church because you can't dream that for yourself. <laughs> At least I did get a response. <laughs> Ooh, wonder if he'll be back next week. <laughs> I will. Unless the Lord comes back, unless I head that way, I'm going to be back. But one of the greatest problems undermining American Christianity is, is this. People becoming Christians and joining the church and putting Christian bumper stickers on their cars, but they stop short of letting Jesus make this fundamental change in their foundational beliefs, their worldviews. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. Often today, when I look at professing Christians, churchgoers, their lives don't reflect the values taught and lived out by Jesus, the Jesus they claim to follow. Can I tell you the greatest deterrent for the church today is us saying one thing and living another. That is not attractive to a world that is saying, I need to know Where's the difference? Until Jesus changes your worldview, he will never change your life. So what do I do? What can I do? Okay, here we go. Here's the applicable part of the message then. You ready? 
Just like the Golden Gate Bridge, we must make sure our foundation is upon bedrock. There are three ways to strengthen your foundation. Write this down. Put this in your notes. If you don't write it down, you won't remember it. I want you to get this. I want you to get it rock solid. First of all, saturate your life with God's truth. This book is meant to be read. Study it. Bury yourself in it. I ask people all the time, what good books are you reading? And I'm a reader. I love to read. I, I, I try to read at least two books every week. But in addition to reading two good books, I read the book every day. Why do I do that? Because I believe that when you saturate your life with God's truth, you can build your life upon God's truth, or you can build your life upon the trends. The church in America today is plagued by truth decay. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. You will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It's right here. It's right here. Not a truth, not any truth, not the truth you make up for your own agenda. That's not the truth that sets you free. It is the truth that sets you free. In 2010, Haiti was rocked with a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that brought chaos and heartache to, to already an impoverished and hurting people. And many days following that earthquake, there were tremors that shook that island and caused great fear upon the people of Haiti. 300,000 people lost their lives in that disaster. 150,000 of those that were lost are buried in an unmarked large grave out by Titayan. I've been there many, many times. One out of every 10 Haitians that survived that earthquake are amputees. When the ground underneath Haiti shook and shifted, everything changed. All of us, we are all going to experience different kinds of quakes. Some of you in this room right now are facing a financial quake. Some of you, a spiritual quake. Some of you, health quakes, relationship quakes, moral quakes, marital quakes, maybe even career quakes, and yes, even church quakes. Nothing is more important, ladies and gentlemen, than having a rock-solid foundation upon the Word of God. I am making this so simple, and yet many of you are looking at me like, is, it, is that all there is? Yes, it, it has to be on the Word of God. Number two, learn to spot counterfeit truth. People, people who need to know how to, to, to spot a counterfeit dollar bill tell me that, like retailers and bankers, and they spend a great deal of time handling genuine dollar bills. There's a texture to it, they tell me, that once you learn it, when you feel the counterfeit, you go, wait a minute. One of the most obvious ways to discern what is false is, this, is to spend a lot of time what. It's handling truth. Then you can spot it. Then you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, God says in his word, wait a minute, it, it, that's not what he says in his word. So I dare you to test what I say. Check it out. 
in the Word of God. If I ever preach anything to you that you cannot find in here, I want you to come and confront me. Because I'm not interested in preaching what Dr. Fuzzy Face says or what some pop uh, psychologist says. I'm interested in, in preaching, thus saith the Lord. But the third thing is this. Commit yourself not only to knowing the truth and not even be able to discern the truth, but living the truth. Live it out. You say, preacher, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, make God priority in your life. For some of us in this room, God's not priority. He's three, four. He's way down the list. Make your relationship with his son Jesus the priority of your life. When you do this, ladies and gentlemen, not based upon my word, but based upon his word, you will begin to see amazing things happen in your life. When you do this, when we have a worldview that God exists and that God is real, that Christ is who he claimed to be. He is the risen son of God. He is alive and well. Then we can build our lives based upon his word. And then we get to live in this world where God keeps his promises. He is a promise keeper. Do you know that? Where you matter to God. I want you to turn your neighbor and say, you matter to God. Some people needed to hear that this morning. Where your past can be forgiven. Anybody like me? You'd like your past to be forgiven? Okay, now some of you are going, hallelujah. You're raising both hands. You're trying to get a foot up. Okay? I, wanna, I want you to know your past can be forgiven. <laughs> your future can be secure. Can I tell you that I am planning on a lot of things in the future, but can I tell you something? I know some of you think I'm so smart. I'm really not. Let me convince you of it. I don't know. I'm planning, but I don't know the future. If any of you do, I want to talk to you privately. I'll buy you lunch today. But I know the one who holds my future. All of us in this room, I, I want you to understand, you're not, you're not listening to a guy that has not been through the fire and the flood and the flame and all those things. I've, I've been there. And, and you know what? I am not immune from being there again, and neither are you. But this one thing I do know, I have a future in this life, as long as my worldview is that Christ alone is where I'm standing. And until he's done with me, until he's completed what he wants me to do on this earth, and then I have a great future in a place called heaven where he's preparing a mansion for me. And so, you know, it's a win-win proposition, ladies and gentlemen. I've got a missionary friend that he's like a son to me. I hope you'll get to meet it. His name is Mark Stockland. He runs Haiti Bible Mission. I hope one of these Sundays I can bring him to this church and just let you meet my adopted son and his wife, Lacey, and their three children that call me grandpa. But, but I would tell you that, that Mark always reminds me, he's a much younger man. He says, listen, when things go wrong, he'll always look at me and say, hey, Dad, 
we're still going to heaven. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. That's, that's typically after he's taken me out on the golf course and beat me so bad. You're still going to heaven. Quit being disappointed. You're never going to beat me, Dad. You know, like to take his clubs away from him or something. But he's right. I'm going to heaven. Transformation is possible. Listen, stop. Church, hear me this morning. Stop this thing of saying, well, this is what we've always been. Things will never change. We can't. Who said that to you? The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We just got to get busy, folks. We just got to we got to say, "Okay, Lord, this is what you've called us to do." And do it. Sounds simple because it is. But most of the time in churches what I see is I see people who begin to understand what God wants them to do and then they want somebody else to do it. That's why when people come up to me and say, "Pastor, I think we need this ministry." Great. I'm going to put you in charge of that ministry. Well, no, God just gave me the idea. No, God put a passion on you for that. Well, no, I want you and the other pastors to do it. Well, God didn't give me a passion for that. Oh, but you're the pastor. You're supposed to do all things. Show me that in the call. <laughs> Got really quiet. Your life can matter when you have this worldview. You know that you are loved and cherished by God. Ladies and gentlemen, ideas have consequences. You cannot build a solid Christian life on a shaky foundation. You cannot base your life on a faulty worldview without experiencing disastrous results. Today, build your life on Christ. Today, place your life on him. Place your career on him. Place your family and your marriage upon him. Let him be your all in all and be more than you could ever imagine or dream of. It was a Sunday morning in the church where I was pastoring. We had been ministering to this couple. Their names, their first names were Joe, and her name was Stormy. That was her nickname, I'm sure, but that's the way I knew her. She's a beautiful, blonde-headed uh, young lady, Joe, was this kind of stocky built, about 5'10", looked like he could have played fullback for the Dolphins, you know, kind of guy. They began by, first of all, getting in one of our small groups, and my small group, our small group leader in that introduced me to them, and I began, and I visited with them and talked with them, and come to find out, Joe and Stormy were not married. They were living together. Uh, they had previously been married before, but they were living together. They had, uh, he did, he had some children in a previous marriage, but they were just living together and, and they were attending this small group. They began to come to church and on that, uh, about the, the sixth or seventh time that they came to church through the, the efforts of this small group, they came to realize they wanted to place their lives upon a relationship that was built on the rock of Christ Jesus. I'll never forget that Sunday morning when Stormy looked at Joe, and I was watching a lot of this happen from the vantage point I was in. Stormy looked at Joe, and she said, I want Christ. I could see her, and, and he smiled, and she basically took his hand, and, and she said, I am going to come to Christ. 
And he took her hand, and down the aisle they came. And there that morning, gloriously trusted Christ alone to be their Lord and Savior. As people were walking out and celebrating, one of the church members, one of the members of that particular church came to me and said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. I said, yes, what, what do you need to tell me that, that is in a whisperous sort of tone? Joe and Stormy live together. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you want to baptize them until that's corrected. And I said to that church member, let's let the Holy Spirit do his job. She said, but you're the pastor. I said, you're right. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday, I baptized Story and Joe. They were still living together. But I said, Holy Spirit, you're going to do a work. Guess what happened, ladies and gentlemen? Three weeks later, Stormy called me and said, Pastor, could, could I come by and talk to you? And Joe wants to come by with me. Would that be okay? That'd be great. Come on in. She came in. She, she was just so, she was teared up. And I thought, oh, great. I'm going to kill a church member. <laughs> she said, you know, since we've been baptized and, and the Lord's working in our lives, we've been reading what you told us to read in our small group. And, and, and Pastor, we don't think we should live together, but we would like to get married. Would you marry us? Would you officiate? I said, who told you that? She said, we don't, we don't know. I said, not anybody from this church told you that, did they? <laughs> no, no. I said, good, the Holy Spirit told you that. She said, well, man, he spoke really loud and clear. <laughs> Do you know I had the glorious then privilege of officiating at their wedding ceremony? And I'm happy to tell you that today, Joe and Stormy serve a church as, as youth pastors. Isn't it amazing what God can do? Amazing. Listen to me today, ladies and gentlemen, on Christ the solid rock I stand. If you, don't, if you don't know Christ today, I would not leave this building without saying yes to Jesus Christ. I would not walk out of this building without saying, I want a relationship with Jesus. And you know what? Many of us in this room have had a relationship. This guy's had a relationship a long, long time because he's old. <laughs> but sometimes when we get old, he's not, though. He is old, but he's not like this. I know it's fresh with him. His relationship is vibrant. He loves Jesus more today than he did the day he got saved. He relies on Jesus more today than he ever did. Some of us get stale in our relationship. Some of you are stale in your relationship. And it's not Jesus' fault. It's yours. Because you started depending on stuff or things or, or something else. Lean into Jesus. Because when you lean into him, his provision is a lot better than that stuff. 
His provision will carry you. But if you don't know Christ today, regardless of your age, come to Christ. Put your life on the solid rock. and Walk out of here knowing I am forgiven. I'm completing him. My past, I don't have to be, it, it's not remembered anymore. I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Every head is bowed. Every eye.